Candace Parker is along with us tonight. And moments ago, Kristen Ledlow. Parker, what a look inside. Kristen Ledlow is on our sideline with the terrific Candace Parker. I'm Kristen Ledlow. I'm Candace Parker. And this is Ledlow and Parker. We said last week that at least our hope for the week was that we would come back, have another conversation, and perhaps have more answers than questions. There were a lot of questions last week. And, well, we at least have several answers regarding the NBA's return to play plan, the WNBA's return to play plan. But we've also seen multiple players step up and say, you know, basketball could be a distraction right now. I want to start here and start with Commissioner Silver having this to say about the NBA potentially being a platform. For us, you know, we feel this is what this is what we do. You know, we put on NBA basketball. We think that for the country, it'll be a respite from enormous difficulties people are dealing with in their lives right now. And I also think in terms of social justice issues, it'll be an opportunity for NBA players in the greater community to draw attention to these issues because the world's attention will be on the NBA in Orlando, Florida, if we're able to pull this off. In just a few minutes from now, we're going to talk to probably our favorite teammate in Ernie Johnson. And I'm going to ask him the same question I want to ask you, Candace. Do you see basketball's return as a platform, the way that Adam Silver is describing it? Or do you think that right now it could serve as a distraction? I am on the fence regarding, I I think there's positives and negatives to both scenarios. You are making a huge statement if you don't play. A statement that Muhammad Ali made when he was opposed to the Vietnam War and he missed three years of his prime fighting. That's a huge statement. Even to the point of, if you look at now, everybody's kind of going back and retracting all their statements they made about Kaepernick now. And whether the NFL wants to come out and just blatantly say, yes, that's right. the reason why he's not in the NFL. Now we understand. And now we get it. <laughs> oh, we're, we're going, okay, so that's what you were trying if to say. only it had been explained well then. Right? Exactly. <laughs> and so, whereas that is a huge step, that would send a message. But on the other side, if you can collectively come together for a cause and not just use it to bring awareness to it, but actually have action, back up some of the awareness that you want to bring to the Black Lives Matter movement, then I think it could have a huge effect. But I don't think it has to come just from the players. It needs to come from the NBA as a, as a whole. And there needs to be some sort of action plan that you go into this with that we are going to, yes, bring change. But at this point in time, the players could probably ask for everything and get it. And that's the point is right now, if you can unify and get behind a message, get behind an action plan. We've seen recently LeBron James not go out and try to get people to register to vote, but trying to combat basically voter suppression. There's a number of times where you cannot vote in certain areas, or they make it challenging to vote in certain areas. And and it happens to be in areas that it's predominantly minorities. So if we can get behind some sort of voice in its entirety as an NBA, then I think it could be good and beneficial to play. Yeah, let's explore more of that because the NBA, I think from the outside looking in is a league that seemingly has unlimited resources. And we're not just talking about financially. You know, they have some of the voices that are defining our culture as we know it. 
what are some of the things that you would like to see either in the WNBA or the NBA if these return to play plans are ultimately implemented and you think, you know what, this is a platform that these players can use here, but I don't just want it to be the players. What would you like to see the leagues do? That's been the biggest question mark because yes, you can post and yes, individually we can give money, but what is really going to bring about change? And, you know, I was looking at the Black Lives Matter movement and doing research online and and looked at some of their action plans from even back in 2015. And it talked about how the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement differed in opinion of action. And when you have that differing of opinion, yes, everybody's not going to be on the same page always, but in the NBA's case, you have to be on what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And just bringing awareness isn't enough anymore. You got to decide whether you're... you. Are you going to go the voting route? Are you going defunding police? Are you taking a stance on policemen having to wear body cams? Are you trying to get them into, you know, implicit bias training? Like, what is your agenda? And what are you going out there and using your voice to amplify? Because honestly, at this point, there is a stage set. People are going to listen. They have no choice but to listen. And so I just think that the NBA as a whole has to be, you know, on board together. We had also seen in the last several days reports that Kyrie Irving was potentially saying that players could form their own league. Then, of course, we see reports refuting that report. But ultimately, what he has said is that he wouldn't go, he wouldn't want to go, and that these decisions are going to be for each individual player. So I hate to keep burdening you with all of these answers, but I'm so interested in your perspective because you are a player having to make a decision like this one. How do you arrive at such an important decision? We are taught our entire lives to play for the team and to be a team player. It's hard not to feel a little bit of pressure and feel like you're letting people down if you don't or aren't or make the decision not to go. I know individually um, it has been encouraged to make an individual choice and nothing will be hold, held against you and you won't be penalized. But just as a competitor, it's hard to, to separate the two. You do feel pressure uh, to play, but now more than ever, uh, individual choices being asked. I don't know if it's always been like this in the past where how you feel matters as much as it does now. And for me individually, it's hard because I'm not just making an individual choice. Right. I think that that's an important aspect of it is perhaps for the first time we're considering players as people, you as a mother, some of these guys as husbands and fathers. And regardless of whether or not the fans naturally response is going to be, you get paid millions of dollars to play a game, thus go to Disney World and play it. You're still making a big ask. You're still asking these guys to step away from their families, away from movements that matter, away from, well, the health and safety of their own homes that most have been quarantined in as well. Kristen, we call out a lot of inequalities on our show. And I think you hit one on the head yesterday when we talked. Let me pull up the tweet because 
I was so interested in this, which is why I screenshot it and sent it over to you. It was from Lindsay Gibbs, who writes a newsletter called Power Plays. And she said, I'm thinking a lot about how the NBA versus WNBA bubble protocols say about how society still views motherhood versus fatherhood. Accommodations have been made for the WNBA mothers to have kids and a caretaker in the bubble the entire time. For the NBA, no family at all until the second round of the playoffs. And I was looking at the, the calendar and I mean, we're still looking at a two month commitment away from any family members. I mean, the WNBA knew not to even bring that <laughs> yeah. to, cause that would have been a hell no. Like you want me to be away from my child, but that's dealing with as well. There's some fathers, a number of fathers, I'm sure that, don't want to be away from their kids as long as they're being asked to. And so with that comes the weight of a decision to go perform, do your job, provide for your family, but then be asked for them to not come along. It's a double standard. And we call out so many double standards when it comes to the WNBA, maybe not getting the same amount of support or coverage or all this stuff. But now it's like, you got to call out the NBA on that and say like, hey, we have guys that are taking paternity leave to be there for the birth of their kids. We're promoting being hands-on parents. And now you're saying that it is a double standard. Yeah, you know, and when I sent you that screenshot, I said, I am well aware that the NBA will be taken care of in ways that the WNBA will not. And we can get to that as much as you'd like to. But as far as family care goes for motherhood and for fatherhood, again, do we celebrate Jimmy Butler missing opening night and missing opening weeks so he can be there for the birth of his first child, but then ask him what this side of eight, nine, 10 or so months later to miss out on two or so months of that child's life? It is, again, it is a big ask. Despite the optics, which is that this is safe and you're getting paid a lot of money to play a sport. It is still a big ask. This entire situation is a big ask. If you think about it top to bottom, it's weird because when I'm trying to weigh my decision individually, Kristen, this might be the best situation for me just in terms of my health. Because if you think about it, WNBA, we fly commercial. We fly 6 a.m., 7 a.m. flights, play the same day. You're in a bubble. My commute will be a 15-minute walk or a seven-minute, you know, golf cart ride to the facility. Like an AAU tournament. It'll be like an AAU. Yeah. There's no travel, like recovery. It's like you get food right afterwards. It's not late. There's no time where I'm sitting in LA traffic on my way to practice. So for me individually as a player, my body should feel good. But then you kind of take into account everything that's going on in the world. COVID, we're acting like just because the media isn't covering as, as much that it's gone. Number two, social justice reform. I want the NBA and the WNBA to listen to their players, but also take the lead on certain things and not necessarily maybe wait. It's bothered me a little bit this month because I believe wholeheartedly in our fight for equality. And I say it and I'll say it again. We are the majority of the minority in the WNBA. We Which have no a choice. Beautiful way to put it. Yeah. But to support 
the minorities in this country, the, the people that have been oppressed, that have been denied certain things. We are that league. And with that being said, I just think that our focus has to be as equal as it can be on certain messages that we want to get out. I mean, it's no secret. It's Pride Month. It's, no, it's Pride Month this month. And I look on the WBA website and it's like, it's so great to see there's so many posts regarding the support. And that wasn't always there. That was something that the WNBA had to come to grips with and understand fan base, players within the league. Sexual orientation is a big deal. And that's something that the WNBA can get their message out there and support that. But then you turn and you look at the social justice posts and there's not as many. So it's just, those are things that I'm like, you can control that. So we have to have a, a message. If we are going to go in this bubble and play, there needs to be a message that we all agree on and a term and action plan and all that, because otherwise nothing is going to get accomplished and we're still going to be in the same situation next year. Let's, for those who may not know the WNBA's return to play plan, it was announced on Monday. It's a 22-game regular season at the IMG Academy, which is down in Bradenton in Florida, a traditional playoff format with 100% of the salary paid. I know that that was a concern for many as well. What did that news for you this side of just a couple of days ago, what, how does that affect the upcoming days, not only for you, but for your teammates as well? So it affects the upcoming days because starting next week, we can fly to market, which was a concern of mine, just in terms of if people are going to go to the bubble, you're flying from your hometown to LA. Some are flying from LA back to their hometowns and then meeting at the bubble in Florida. And to me, it was just more exposure to the possibilities of what you would bring to Florida. I do think that it was super crucial for the WBA to pay 100% of the salary. This is in different circumstance. And just from negotiation and talks, that to me was a non-negotiable. I'm thankful that that's an option for a number of players out there that, you know, haven't had a check or haven't been able to to play basketball overseas like they would normally. We keep asking the NBA players, WNBA players that join our show, what's the one thing you kind of need to know about this potential return to play that would make you feel like, okay, you know what? I'm in, I'm comfortable. Let's do this. Is there for you still a question that's left unanswered? Is there still like, Hey, here's this one lingering thing. I need to know this before I, in my mind commit. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. I don't know if the questions that are being asked really have an answer because it's kind of one of those things where it's like, well, what if we go down there and a star player gets the coronavirus or what you don't know. And so it's just kind of, what if a category four hurricane, nobody's talking about hurricane season. Like we're playing right in the middle of hurricane season. In central Florida. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Like my brother was, he came to California last year because they were leaving because of the hurricanes. They, right. You know, and he's in Lakeland, which is what, 45 or so minutes from where you were. Exactly. But could not see them because we're going to be in the bubble. Um, And honestly, Kristen, I I wake up and I think, I hope everybody honestly individually makes that decision because when you're individually making a decision and you're doing what's in your heart, everybody else's talk in white noise isn't going to matter. 
And that's what I, I want to stress. It does mess with legacy. Regardless of what anybody wants to say, this season, if you play, regardless if anybody says it, you're tough. And, you, you know, it, that's, you want, you love the game. And you, that's going to be the narrative. If you don't play, it's more so silence, maybe. I don't know. But I just think that this can be spun in so many different ways to fit a narrative that people want, to, want it to fit. Has your decision been made? No, my decision hasn't been made. And it's something that, you know, my daughter and I, we have lots of conversations. I'm going to talk with my family and make the best decision for us because my decision making for me as an individual was stopped 11 years ago when my daughter came on earth. So (laughs) it's kind of a, it's always a, she always has input. Well, as we continue searching for answers, who do we go to for answers most often, Candace? Ernie! Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, he's on the phone. Ernie Johnson is next. Ernie Johnson in Atlanta. Ernie Johnson back at you from Atlanta. It's inside the NBA, coming to you live from Studio J. My oh. name's Ernie Johnson, but they call me EJ. I host a little show called Inside the NBA. He won. He had to get a champagne bad, baby. Yes, yes, Mr. Johnson. I've got something pretty special for you here. For 30 years. <laughs> 30 years. It's time for EJ's Needles Presented by No. Come on. Oh, Unsullied by sponsors since 1989. Yes, indeed. I'm big up in Canada. You're big everywhere. <laughs> in the words of the great Ron Burgundy, that escalated quickly. I don't think we're supposed to have favorites, Candace, but we are welcoming in. I mean, he has to be our favorite teammate, right? Ernie Johnson. Like, for sure. We'll go on record and say that. <laughs> by a lot. Yes. I don't know about that. You guys will say anything. Come on. It's yeah, like, do you say this to all your guests? Yeah. There's so many things, Ernie, that we could talk to you about, but 30 minutes will go by far too fast. And I feel like there are these, these moments, you know, in our lives that, that define a season of life. And sometimes they happen so quickly and, and change the course of our lives entirely. And that's what we saw in March. You know, we were all together, what, the night before in our studio, looking as if the NBA season would resume as planned, and then it was suspended, and here we are months later talking about a potential return to play or what our roles may look like, but what has life looked like for you since since that moment? It's been just the whole calendar year of 2020 has been really difficult on on a lot of different levels. I mean, I think uh, losing Kobe and, and our family, we lost a very good friend of mine, lost his wife right around that same time. And we're kind of dealing with, with that and trying to help him through that. And then the coronavirus comes in and it, it's just been relentless. Um, I can't th- that, that's the only word I can, I can come up with. It's been relentless. And it's, I think back to March uh, 12th, I guess, was the Thursday night that uh, that we did a show when Charles was uh, quarantined because he'd just been uh, 
tested for coronavirus, and Shaq and Kenny were with me in the studio, and this was the night after play had been suspended, and I remember jotting down notes as we were doing that show, and I said, okay, in the United States, on this date, there have been 40 deaths because of coronavirus. And what are we, 116,000 plus at this point? And you kind of try to make sense of all that and do the right thing. And then you're hearing every voice in the world talking about what you should do and what you shouldn't do and then what's smart. And then, you know, George Floyd happens. It's just been relentless and it's been painful at times discouraging. And at times it leaves you feeling kind of hopeless. And then you're just trying to wrap your head around. Nothing to me has been short and been able to say anything briefly for this to see a to see a murder in broad daylight um, and then to see in my own state here saw one where a guy got chased down in a truck and shot and killed and and then we see something at a wendy's the other night as i get on the on the show with you now i mean the charges have just come down against these two officers golly where are we people yeah Ernie, I have been a fan of you, of the show, of TNT, of Turner. And um, I tell Kirsten every day, I'm, I'm proud to be a part of a team. And I think everybody that's been on Turner understands that the team goes as Ernie goes. You have set the culture, you've set the foundation, you've set the expectation. You've been a great leader. And with that comes now me being your teammate and the entire world looking to you and Shaq and Chuck and Kenny for guidance during times like this. I was a part of a show where we flew out to LA after the passing of Kobe Bryant. And I leaned on you heavily, heavily during those moments and, and your guidance and your composure and your ability to sum up things that sometimes there's no words and you acknowledge that. This last conversation, this last show was necessary in the wake of everything that's going on with social justice and social reform, how important is it to you as an individual to understand that so many people rely on you guys to share your feelings and, and to kind of get people through certain times, even outside of sport? Let me preface this. Thank you for your kind words. I don't, I mean, you know, we're all, it's a team, it's a family at Turner, and, and we all know that, and we all, I think we all appreciate that fact uh, at times like this the most, where we all can kind of lean on each other. And, you know, I think it, it's it's all just in being as transparent as you can be, and it's being as real as you can be, and and not holding anything back, and also not, I'm not going to try to say something, I don't think Kenny or Shaq or, or Chuck either, we're not going to try to say something just because we, it's, it's what you think, we think you might want to hear, but more, it's just how we process things. And, and I think the way it works, I mean, the way the world works, it's like they get, you know, fans get used to seeing us on the air. We make them laugh sometimes and we make them mad some other times. But I think, <laughs> I think because we all come at, at, at the world from kind of different angles, there may be something of value just to, having us weigh in, you know, and I, and I don't want to create any kind of uh, undue 
importance to to us i mean a lot of the times our show is just we're just clowning and and and, and, and it's not a, a whole lot of value That's outside important of, too oh, a laugh is so important it is good to laugh but i also think that sometimes it can help folks deal with something just to hear from people that they have come to know on thursday nights and 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 because our show has always kind of gone outside those the the boundaries and and we haven't been afraid to go there that there's almost an expectation well i know the inside guys are going to talk about this i mean they talk about everything and so yeah we we needed to do that and uh, but i think there comes a, a tremendous responsibility with that in that you have to educate yourself on what the issues are what the stories are and not just to get on the air and so i'll i'll just i'll just throw something out there we have to think this through. We have to soul search. And then uh, when the time comes, um, we speak our minds and our hearts. And you can't do that in fear of making someone mad or something like that. This is just has to be genuine. This is who I am. This is what I feel. And maybe this will help you through it. Because I, I certainly think when we did the, the show on Kobe, shoot, it helped us. And, and it helped it helped me to hear Jerry West and to hear Steve Nash and Derek Fisher and you and everybody. You know, I, I, I think we all kind of help each other through moments like this if we're if we'll listen. OK, and and and, and if we'll and if we'll be open to hearing what somebody thinks um, and try to understand where they're coming from. A lot of players have voiced concerns primarily in these days for a number of the issues that you just brought up. The coronavirus is still very real with numbers on the rise. There's a fight for social justice like I have not seen in my own lifetime. Yeah. Do you think that the return of basketball could amplify important and necessary voices? Or do you think, like some have voiced, that it could simply serve as a distraction? I spent... Uh... 45 minutes today talking to uh, Tobias Harris, your Tennessee volunteer. Proud alum, yep. On, the, uh, in, on our NBA Together series, in which I've loved doing. You know, that's, that's given me a sense of normalcy over the last 12 weeks, you know, to be able to prepare for interviews and then conduct interviews a couple of times a week and, 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 to, just, and to just go places with these guys that, we wouldn't normally have time to do. It's this is not a five minute post game interview or a you know five minutes before a game to find out you know what you're thinking about. This is talking about where you grew up, what you grew up with. I mean, this is Tobias Harris saying to me, you know, look, I I grew up in mostly in mostly white schools and in a real good place, and I I'd heard about racism, but basically, you know, my life was kind of sugarcoating it. You know, you get that kind of honesty and that kind of thing. And then he, and then as we talk today, he's like, the important thing we all have to do with all the voices that are out there now. And, you know, somebody says, I don't want to go to Orlando because I'm, I want, you know, I don't want to mess with the coronavirus. Or somebody else says, I think it's going to, you know, take away from uh, our social issues. And what Tobias said was, don't try to quiet any of those. Listen to them all. They're all legit. Everybody, you know, all of these opinions are legit. And so if, um, you know, and the way I see it, 
I'm of a mind that if the NBA were to go down to Orlando as planned, this is an incredible uh, platform for making statements. And I think, and I think what the league has always done, the league has always been open to that and encouraging players, speak your mind. We want to hear it, you know? And, and so I think, I think that would open up uh, any number of ways to keep that front and center, to say that we need justice, to say that black lives matter. That's where you, the, the stage would be set for you with the world watching. So I don't, you know, I think that would enhance and shine a spotlight on the issue rather than detracting from it. But that's my opinion. Okay. So, and, and as to the others, if somebody says, Hey, look, I just don't know if, if that's the healthiest place to be. And if they have those reservations, I mean, the league has said, yeah, if you don't want to do it, let us know, let us know by the 24th, you don't have to go. And then that opens up another conversation. You know, if, if a star doesn't want to go and suddenly his team was favored to win and uh, and he's not there, then then what do you say about that season? Well, they would have won it if he, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's just, it, you know, it's as, as the commissioner says, it is not an ideal situation. No, this is I mean, this is a big mess, you know, trying to trying to make the best of a really bad situation. And and. Again, you know, if you expect every player in the league to say, oh, yeah, sure, that sounds great. Um, it's just not the way it is. It's just it's just not the way it is these days. From the NBA perspective, we're kind of in a little bit of the same boat of trying to to weigh in on our individual choices. And with that being said, it's hard your entire life when you're taught to play a team sport to just think yeah. about yourself. And as fans, when you're taught to watch a team sport, you know, if you think about a big time player in the prime of their career, or even towards the end, like myself, making that decision to not go could change the narrative of your career and what people perceive you to be. As we've seen just being in the media now, how the media can turn those opinions and can change those choices and can write articles and turn a clutch player into a not clutch player just because they miss one shot. So I guess I'm just asking you is how do you think the media should handle this? Because if somebody decides not to go as an individual and let's say LeBron James does win a championship <laughs> this year, you have the naysayers that'll say, well, he shouldn't have won. And then you have the LeBron fans that'll say, well, he won despite the circumstances. So, like, is now when we attempt to say asterisk? Mm. Asterisk. 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 We can never get this one. We can't yeah. get it right. That's the word we Asterisk. Struggle. Asterisk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, and if there is an asterisk, you know, and there, there always has to be something at the bottom that says, oh, you see an asterisk. What does it mean down here? It's, it means, you know what it says? Research the year 2020 and research what, what, what the coronavirus was. And research George Floyd, and and you know what, go ahead and, and do all those things, and you'll you'll have a you'll have an idea of why there's an asterisk there. But they're the champions. Forget about it. Move on. Whoever whoever wins this, but um, how the media should handle it, it, it kind of goes back to what Tobias said. Everybody's reasons. Everybody has reasons which are legitimate to them. Look. We had a, a golf event with Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods and uh, and Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. 
my folks at Turner all said, hey, we'd like you to do it. But we understand because of the situation you have health-wise in your family with a son who's got who's on a ventilator. And I told them, you know, I mean, we talked for a couple of weeks and I was like, let me know what, you know, what it's going to be like down there. Do we know? And, and, and then it got down to the point where, you know, we had to have an answer. And I just said, no, I look, I'm not going to go. I'm, and they had said, we totally understand. And there's no pressure, which is, which, which makes it, you know, making the decision, you know, you don't, you don't, walk around with a bunch of weight on you because you know that they're with you, which is huge. And I think that's what the league is doing now with, with the players saying, look, if you don't want to go, we know, okay, just let us know by this date, you know, so, so we have an idea. And so like, so, so when I told, you know, Tara and everybody at Turner, I said, look, I can't go. I just don't, I'm just not going to risk bringing something back into the house. You can think whatever you want. And, and it's not going to bother me. And it, I mean, if and if somebody wants to say, "Wow, man, he, look at that! He has a big event and he doesn't want to go." And it, no, I want to go, but I just couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't go. I had to. I had to weigh these things. And if and if a player is going to have to weigh things here before they go to Orlando, okay, you're not going to see me. You know, saying, "Oh, wow, how about this guy's heart? Oh, man, well, how much? How about his desire?" Well, what some teammate he is. This is a different, it's a different world right now, and it's not, it's not, it's not for me to judge somebody's motive. And you've been able to ask a lot of players that very question, like, what's your biggest question or concern regarding the NBA's return to play? So, let us just ask you, what was the question you still feel is perhaps unanswered in regards to this plan? I just think some of that was. Because and now a lot of those answers probably are moot because now you've got this hundred-page thing, uh, you know that that outlines everything. I haven't been given it, but everybody on the internet has it. So you know, Storm's <laughs> yeah. got it, and then Esmond's got it. Everybody's got it. So you're, you're looking at it. So I think it provides more answers now. That if here's what the players have to do now, and, and to me is they've sent this to you. Now read the thing. Okay, it, it's not going to be it's not going to be acceptable anymore to say, well, the league hasn't told it. Well, the league has told you now either, you know, if you're going to sit down and read it <clears throat> and it really is kind of compelling to read it. You know, it's kind of like as you go down and say, OK, so you can't go to his you can't go to a room with this guy in the third week. But in the fourth week, maybe somebody can come in and then you can yes. or you can throw <laughs> the donut from across the room. I don't know. So so. Now all that's out there, but I think one of the I think the the thing that was a sticking point with a lot of players in the previous weeks was just like hey, you know I, there are too many questions that I don't know the answer to. Like if somebody gets sick, you know, and if somebody contracts it, and then what does that player have to do? So I think that's that's where that's where everybody who's concerned with this needs to you know sit down, read it, and and then get a better handle on it because only then can you really make the informed decision that you that you need to make let's hope that let's hope that that's done whether it's whether it's done as a team or whether it's done by organization who says hey look here i know you got 100 pages here are the highlights here are the here are the big things you gotta that you've got to abide by you know we'll see but uh, you know the commissioner's right this he's requiring a lot of sacrifice here like most things in the world these days uh 
Ernie, recently, you know, with among the, the conversations that you've had with a number of players, um, I loved your Malcolm Brogdon conversation. I honestly think that he's future president of the mm-hmm. United States of America. Um, just, and, and going into other athletes that have reached out and made statements. And one of those athletes being Drew Brees and him making comments regarding don't disrespect the flag. Um, I've seen all over your response to that in the sense of don't use the flag as a blindfold. I personally feel like, yes, Drew, Drew Brees made that comment and didn't understand where a lot of people were coming from. But that comment sparks so many more conversations of people that are coming at this in a pure-hearted situation of don't disrespect the flag. But there's others that are able to explain that's not what it's about. And it's a conversation that needed to be had. Look, when you've had someone in your family serve in the military, and my, my dad did, my dad was a Marine in World War II. Um, and, and the flag means everything to me. I mean, I, I was one of the most touching moments of my life and something that, that, I, that still leaves me weak need when I think about it is, and we are at the cemetery and these Marines fold the flag and, and hand it to my mother. And, um, and that flag is at my mom's house. And, and so I, I love the flag. And as I said that day, I said, loving the flag and flying the flag and revering the flag is is one thing, but what you can't do is, again, let it blind you to what's going on in the world. For this, for this country to excel and to be its very best, you have to right the wrongs. You can't just look the other way. So it, it, to me... You are respecting the flag when you see wrong and try to right it. When you see what's what's going on in the streets and the protests, you got to realize that that's not something that's against the flag. It's something that's look. There's something we got to fix. And and I, you know what? It's you know what I've been reading that's been incredible. It's Robin D'Angelo this uh, professor from the University of Washington. And she has written this book. She wrote it in 2018. It's called White Fragility, talking about why, why is it? And she's a, a white woman. And she's ready. She said, why is it that white people are so afraid to talk about race and throw up these, you know, and, and it makes everybody nervous. And she just goes in it's amazing how she just talks about what racism is, how it's gone on for so long. And, and a lot of times, well-meaning folks can say things like, oh, well, some of my best friends are black, so I, I'm not racist. And it's things like that that are so far from the point. Because then I sit here and I think, what have I done? What have I been doing in the course of my life where I thought, this is innocent, and it's actually contributed? So it's been a real eye-opener for me. And it's Man, uncomfortable, but and that's but but to me that's where we got to go. You 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 can't just say, well, this is going to make me uncomfortable. Let me read something else. No, this is what I need. To, this is what I need to read. This is what I need to learn, because 
obviously when we're when we're going through what we're going through right now, I got to be part of the solution. One of I think your very rare qualities is that you not only will sit in that discomfort as you're describing to us, but you'll do so on TV in front of millions of people watching and waiting to dissect every word that comes out of your mouth. And you know, maybe 2020 will be an entirely unprecedented year, but you all have taken all of it on. When you look back, however long you may choose to continue captaining this <laughs> ship, <laughs> what would you like your legacy and the legacy of Inside the NBA to be? Uh, you know what? I would hope that uh, we were a pleasant distraction. I've always looked at the, this job as a sportscaster, and especially this job as, you know, hosting that show as an escape where, you know, you get home from work and it's been a tough day and you don't want to really talk about it anymore. You just kind of want to get in your own little box and maybe you turn that thing on and say, well, let's see what's going on with the NBA tonight, or let's see if Charles says something that <laughs> we're all going to be talking about tomorrow, or if he starts an international incident, you know, and, <laughs> and so, and, and that's, and that to me is, is, is the real legacy of the show is that, you know, that we've kind of found a, a different way to do that show. You know, Charles gets a lot of credit for that. I think he, you know, he, he changed the landscape of sports TV in that regard and that, and that he was, you know, we weren't afraid to talk about whatever we want to talk about. It doesn't have to be game related. And so, uh, and, and then, and, and because of that, we felt free to talk about whatever the average American was talking about. Look, and, and you can say, Hey, uh, just just talk about sports. I don't want to hear what you think. Look, if you went to work today at the bank or at the business you went to, was everybody there talking about this? Yeah. Well, at our place of business, we are too. And we're not telling you how to think. We're just kind of unpacking how we process things. And so, yeah, to be an escape, make you laugh, make you think. And really, there have only been a couple of times in that 30 years I've been there that I actually thought about dropping off a resume at that Chevron up the street and saying, you know what, there's got to be a, there's got to be an easier way to make a living than dealing with these guys, you know, and, and driving home at two 30 in the morning. But, uh, but, but that's, so that's, I guess that's kind of the legacy of the show that we, uh, that we gave you a little break from, from real life and, and we weren't afraid to, to tackle real life when we had to. I remember on being on set with you uh, while we watched an old rerun of when you announced NBA.com. <laughs> if I got good news for you, an NBA site on the World Wide Web, NBA.com. Now, if you have access to the Internet, you can access information on every NBA team. Just a click of the old mouse. <laughs> like the w internet w yeah like <laughs> ww like let's see if this will last like okay and so there's that show there's a number of 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 just memories that i can see what was one of your all-time favorite shows to be a part of 
but when you bring that up, Candace, that is so funny because I because so I it funny. wasn't it wasn't like dismissive of the idea of the internet. It was just with with a very skeptical eye. Like okay, okay, so really, we were really going to see this on www dot. Hey, Chris, what do you wear to a chat room? <laughs> oh, I, it was just, and that's 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 the bad thing about having everything you've ever done out there because some, some people will throw that out and it's like, hey, check out Ernie Johnson doubting the internet would last. Anyway, there have been so many fun moments. And I think, you know, I think back to locking Charles out of the studio with the, when we turned it into the Champions oh, Club. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it was the, yeah, because Magic was working with us at that time and we just decided, it's, and and this really is testament just to the producers, Tim Kiley, you know, who's produced that show for so long, he and Jeremy Levin, but you know, we're sitting in there in a production meeting, just kind of saying, what can we do that's kind of different? What can we, you know, Magic's here and he's got how many rings and Kenny. And and then it was, this, somebody just brought up, well, let's just say you got to have a ring to get in to the studio. And then it, and then it was, well, let's turn, okay, we'll, we'll call it the Champions Club. They have transformed Studio A for halftime here to the Champions Club in honor of Magic Johnson's final night of his six-night stay here. So our last AT&T halftime report will be done from the Champions Club, where I guess you've got to be an NBA champion to even get in the place. And security, Magic, obviously, is, is quite tight. It's very tight, very yeah. tight. So we should just go on in. I think you should lead the way, too. Okay. All right. Oh, all the production guys are making these beautiful signs that say the Champions Club. And they've got they've got the inside of the studio with strobes going everywhere and music music pumping out and smoke coming out. So so somebody takes an idea and everybody runs with it. And then to have us, you know, just to pull it off, Charles had no idea. You know, he came out for halftime. He had no idea. And Magic and I are out there and we I told him what we're doing. And we've got two guys who are actual bouncers at a at a club in Atlanta who are standing <laughs> up there too. Yeah. And and the and the velvet ropes and everything. And and we just told Kenny, Kenny, walk Charles down the hallway, the back way to the studio. And and if he asks what's up, just say, Oh, I think they're just shooting something. We're supposed to act like we're on our phones. So it's okay. And that's what, so that's what they're doing. They're walking down the thing. And then they get to, they get to the outside of it. And Charles sees the Champions Club. <laughs> and these guys are yes. saying, Mr. Barkley, you got to have a ring to get in here. Oh, man, so you're playing a trick on the Chuckster. <laughs> and, then to, and then we just, we came up, you know, it's like underdog and I, and, you know, we're, we're sitting here, let's make a list of guys who have rings so that as we go into the club, we can, we can be poking our heads back out and telling them, other guys who, who are in here, you know, yes. so every time you open the door and the music's thumping, we're saying, Hey, Mike Penberthy wants to see, you. uh, Hey, Jean Tabak is, you know, and, and, and that's, that, that's what really, that's what really made that. That's like, well, that's a kind of a long answer there. Believe me, there are a million things because when I look, when I look back, you know, I'll be doing something on the internet and some, on the margin, it'll say "best of inside the NBA" and something. And I'll, I'll click on it. Oh, I'll say, I forgot that. You know, I forgot the diaper changing contest, or I forgot that we retired Kenny's jersey on a clothesline. You know, and the uh, yeah, and those are the kind of things that that. Uh, I mean, we got into we just, Shaq's falling. 
Oh yeah, I like, mean that. Yeah, he him falling. You're laughing and when me. he got mad because it was like it's goes to go one two back to one. Yeah, that no, one. That, that's one that, of the funniest. Yes, her name's yeah. laugh. Supposed to be one two three, not one two back to one. With your dumbass. <laughs> Do it again, Chuck. Oh man. You know, and that was that with this the thing that was the thing too because that wasn't one of those things like the Champions Club where it's going to require yeah where everybody needs to be on the same page. This was this was him. Yeah, nobody had ever said that it's supposed. You know, and, and here we are. We're doing this TSO on the clock thing where everybody's going to get a chance to talk. We just kind of put a minute and a half on there just to make the sponsor happy. You know, so Kenny does Kenny sex Chuck, Chuck talks and then. Just as just as Shaq's about to talk, Charles says, "Oh, and another thing, yeah." When he says, hey, hey, "It's not supposed to go. It's supposed to go one to two to three, not one to two and back to one." <laughs> what? <laughs> he was mad for two days because that was during the playoffs. He came in the next night and nobody said anything right away when he sat down at the, on the set, and we all kind of looked at each other like, "How you doing?" I'm all right. I'm all right. Good. Was, everything's good from last night. Because I, I was afraid I was going like, to bring something up. And I was like, yes. I'm going to hold off on that for just a second. And then it's funny again. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and then you it's can't not, help but laugh again. Yeah. No, like, it's, it's, it's the best. It's, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's like a locker room in there. You know, it really is. It's like, <laughs> yeah. and, if, and you know if something, if you know if you stick the needle in there just right, that's you hit the and we all have that everybody on that show has that same thing they know exactly what to do to get the fire going and uh, that's what makes it that's what makes it so fun night after night we thought that the same way you end so many of the inside shows with ej's neato stat of the night yeah do you think you can sing it ej ej's neato, oh, EJ's neato stat of the night there yeah. we go <laughs> presented, presented by, by- no, no one. Uh, <laughs> unsullied by sponsorship since 1989. There, there it is. All yeah. right. Just some quick fire questions. All right. Last couple of months of quarantine, spending a lot of time at home. First, most watched TV show. Oh, I mean, Ozark was, uh, you know, Ooh, had, yes. to finish, had to That's finish up one. Ozark, Ooh. had to do, uh, yeah. uh, what did I watch the other night? The one with uh, Pete. Uh, the King of Staten Island? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was great, Pete. right? Pete, uh, Pete Davidson. What? Pete Davidson, yes. Yeah, he did a yeah. great job with that. What's your most listened to musical artist? It'd be more of the Jackson Brown, James Taylor kind of stuff. It's more of a, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and some Steely Dan thrown in there. And, and some Jimmy Buffett thrown in there. And uh, Hillsong Worship Team out of Australia is big, on my, is big in, my, uh, in my car, too. Who from inside the NBA have you spoken to most regularly while away from work? It's uh, it would be the Chuckster because we have what is uh, uh, widely regarded as the second most popular podcast in the history of media, the Steam Room, which is available <laughs> wherever you get your podcasts. And we we have no idea what the number one is, but we just have it on good authority that we're the second most popular. I love it. And, and so, yeah. Maybe so, it's us. Yeah, yeah, it could, yeah. it could very well be they, you. They and may just I, keep telling you guys that so that you'll keep thinking that maybe it's us. Actually, <laughs> actually, nobody's telling me. I made that up one time when we were on, and then we're just riding it. You know, it just seems, it seems to be the thing that works. 
I'm going to ask if you're in a bubble of the, your three teammates, Chuck, Ooh. Shaq, or Kenny, who are you quarantining with? I'd probably do Chuck. If I'm with Shaq, it's going to be, it's going to be loud. With Kenny, you're homeschooling. Yep, you're homeschooling kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, there's... Thank you guys for giving me reasons to have it with the to have it's it a with Chuck. Yeah. It, gives, it gives me a regular guy I can beat on yeah. the golf course. <laughs> All right, last one. When was the actual last time you put on a bow tie? March twelfth. Oh yeah, it I is. thought maybe it, so. No, you know what? I'm trying to think if I. No, I don't think I wore one. No, I didn't wear one when we did the show the other night. So March 12th was the last time. Is this the longest stretch of your adult life? Uh, it's the longest stretch since I, <laughs> since I started wearing them about however many years ago. I've actually gotten rid of all my regular ties. I, I, so Love all it. I have is bow ties now. I got rid of all, I got rid of all the other ties. And it's been kind of nice mm -hmm. to not have to do that or get dressed i mean it felt weird just to wear a dress shirt the other day for that show you yeah, know it's getting yeah. difficult to put on yeah, well, yeah, this, is kind, of, this huh? is kind of like yeah. with my uniform uh yes, over, over the uh over the uh last several weeks ernie we could talk to you all day and night but we've already taken much more of your time than we promised and oh man it was great being <laughs> on your thank show you so much for taking the time you have man. to be busier than either of us are and we so appreciate you penciling us really in. appreciate you thank you so much no it's my pleasure it's great to it's great to be on the third most popular <laughs> podcast <laughs> yes. in the history of media yeah and, i like uh, that yeah. no, we'll take you it. Guys, we're gonna just you, put it out there no you guys are great it's wonderful to be your teammates you, you guys uh you guys stay safe thank you thank you too you. and we'll hopefully see you soon right? yeah let's hope What's good? <laughs> What's good? This has come to be one of my favorite segments every week. You know, it's kind of morphed in the most recent days into what's good with action behind it. But it's really highlighting things outside of sports, within sports, that's doing good towards the community. Kristen, anything that caught your eye this week? Yeah, my former teammate from many, many years ago, no, not that old, uh, Maria Taylor, we used to cover recruiting together and she of course now is a star on ESPN. Um, several years ago, co-founded uh, Winning Edge Leadership. It's at the WE Leadership for anyone who would like to follow on social media, but I wasn't aware of what she was doing with so many of these young up and coming sports industry leaders until I have, I don't know if you have, I'm sure many, many NBA fans have uh, Adrian Wojnarowski's tweets set on like a notification for your phone. So like anytime that you see news is actually happening, you're going to get some of those Woj bombs first as we've come to know them and love them as, but he tweeted about it today. And again, apart from his amplifying it to the millions of people that are following him, I wouldn't have known much about it either. But 
I uh, looked at the website and it's of course the, the goal to, to develop the next generation of women and minority leaders in sports business. But I realized there were so many ways for people to get involved. You look at something like that and say, okay, well, you know, I'm not a student or a young broadcaster or up and coming in sports business. And so this doesn't apply to me, but I'm looking at it and thinking, okay, there are ways to not only financially get involved with what Maria and her partners are doing with Winning Edge Leadership, but also there's an opportunity to host on-site tours. Like for those of us who are already working in and around the, 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 the industry to be able to welcome some of those students in. And so I'm looking at it and thinking, okay, well, this is not only something that I think we can amplify on our podcast and get people to get financially involved with, but Candace, maybe once our studios, if and when finally open back up and we see each other in person again, we could host several of those as well. Now, Maria Taylor, she's doing amazing things. That's uh so important. I think for me, it's kind of along the same lines of going forward, taking steps forward. Uh, Academy of Motion Pictures and Arts and Sciences has released their action plan towards diversity and inclusion. And they made some pretty big steps, if you ask me, for, you know, you, you think about the Oscars and all that they mean to us individually, but then also the cries from this past year, the year before, years before of having diversity within. Well, like surprising maybe to even see a statement, much less like, hey, here's an action plan. And the action plan is like, they're going to have 10 nominees for best picture instead of fluctuating. They're going to have a task force of industry leaders that will develop new standards for eligibility. They're going to be encouraged to eat, to have diversity within either in front of the camera or behind the camera, uh, whether that be makeup or whatever. They're going to have unconscious bias training that's mandatory, and they're going to have more diverse voices on the board of governors, which I think is the biggest change that needed to be had because you have an industry that is definitely dominated by um, you know a particular group and to open that up in order to have diversity within your films and have it trickle down. You want to have that board of governors represent your message and what you want to see within your films and how it's going to be graded. And so you definitely have to have that on your board. Right. That's where it starts. It's not just what we're seeing on camera. It's those who are in the decision-making positions of power have to bring diversity of thought to the table and it won't start until it starts there. We've covered quite a bit on the show, <laughs> Kristen. Two weeks ago, who knew we were going to have all this to cover? No. When we talked on the phone last night, it's like, oh, well, yeah. Oh, well, we have to say that. Oh, we've got to get into that also. Well, we should probably get into that. And again, like you said, what, just a couple of weeks ago, it's like, we're left with nothing. We're left speechless and in a lot of ways, hopeless. And now it's, there's so much more now to talk about. There's so much more to the conversation. And who better to have had as a guest? It, they keep just lining up perfect with the shows. Ernie Johnson, our leader, teammate, captain, all that. We really appreciate him joining us. He's an amazing teammate. And I know you guys think so highly of him on camera, but boy, like we can, yeah. You're we right. can say we can, he's- yeah. <laughs> We can vouch for him. He's yeah. <laughs> an unbelievable human being. Yeah. Thank you, Ernie. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week.